welcome for those online. Welcome to our Precious Marriage series as we're going through the book of 1 Peter. Again, we are not doing an in-depth study. We're just kind of looking through the verses and then looking at really the things that God, through Peter, wants to speak to us in our hearts. I'm going to say this because every time I read through it, we are going to start sounding like a broken record because Peter basically over and over again, he describes our conduct, the way in which we should behave ourselves, you know, uh, with, with the Lord and within our marriages. And so for us tonight, as we look at First Peter, that's really kind of what we're going to be looking at and allowing the Lord to speak and minister to our hearts. We're in First Peter. Um, again, so far in our Precious Marriage series, um, we have seen that God has called each one of us a pilgrim, and that looks like we're on a journey within marriage, and it's a, a pilgrimage of marriage is really, that's the traveler or travelers on a journey to a holy place. And again, as we've been looking at along this road that we're traveling on, and Peter is going to kind of reemphasize this, you know what? There are distractions. Uh, he kind of calls it the, the, the lustly flesh which war against the souls. And those are distractions that are trying to get us off the path as well as we go through the valley of Baca or weeping or or trials, or tears, or mourning, and, and again, I don't know about you, but this so applies, I know for us, we're kind of in this middle of this little valley of Baca right now in our own kind of lives, our personal life. You know, every, every other night, my wife's been spending the night at a hospital with her dad, and uh, this has been going on for almost three weeks now, and you know, and I'm kind of a needy guy, and so I'm like, come on, Mary, you know, but I, I get it and stuff, and, you know, for him, and, and it's just really important, and he's, you know, with the issues and things that are going on, but we find ourselves in this place where it's like, okay, Lord, we have no control over the things that are going on, and, and we really need you to move and work, and yet, Peter would say that if the pilgrim has his eyes on the Lord, God is going to reveal that, that he is greater He's greater than the things that are going around, around us. And his purpose and design in us going through trials and tribulations, as we looked at last week, is that he would strengthen us and we would grow. And that God would get bigger and bigger and the problems would get smaller and smaller because our hearts and minds are focused on the things above more than on the things of the earth. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. <laughs> You're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Anyways, First Peter chapter 1, we're going to be beginning in verse 10. And again, I'm just going to kind of read through these verses, give a, just a little light commentary on those verses, and then we'll kind of dive in on what the, you know, what Mary will share with the ladies where the Lord led her, and I'll share with the guys where the Lord led me. But again, as Peter is going through this, he gets to this point here uh, in chapter 1 and verse 10, where he says, of this salvation... The prophets had inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. I find it fascinating as Peter is going through and he's talking about this incredible gift that God has given to us. It is a gift of salvation. Salvation is that we are saved from something. We are saved from death from destruction. We are saved into 
his arms. Again, remember, he, we, we talked about this in chapter 2. He says, you were once in darkness, but are now in light. You were children of disobedience, but now you're children of obedience. And in a sense, this gift that God has given us, listen, the Old Testament writers, the people who were in the Old Testament, when they were penning this, they had issues with this because in their minds, God is a holy, righteous God. And a holy, righteous God cannot have sinful man in his presence. And they could not figure out how a holy, righteous God would allow sinful man to come into his presence and then not only come into his presence and then look at them, look at us as if we've never sinned. They, we are justified just as if we've never sinned. And the prophets that were writing this, they're a little confused because they're like, okay, we don't quite understand all that's going on. And yet, if for them, you know, they're not the only ones because we're going to read the angels even, you know, struggled with all of this. But they had a hard time understanding this incredible gift of salvation. As I read that and as I went through this, I'm just like, man, Lord, I am a wretched sinner. And I am so thankful for that gift of salvation, which saves me, delivers me. Listen, even when Jesus was walking on the earth, even when he was here, they looked at him, they, they, they could not, you know, compute the fact that, that he was coming and he was claiming to be Messiah, and yet the Messiah was to deliver or save them from the Roman Empire. That's what they had in mind. But Jesus' kingdom was not of this earth. It was to save us from this earth, from the death and destruction here, to give us, what did he say there in verse 4, chapter 1? An inheritance that is undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. That is just incredible. Again, guys, we need to memorize that verse. Uh, but anyway, so, so the, you know, they, they, they prophesied of these things, but they were a little confused. And going on in verse 11, it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories would follow, that would follow again. They're, they're writing about Messiah, and yet as they're writing about Messiah, this one who would come, who would bring deliverance, the one who would bring salvation, rescue us from death and destruction, he was going to have to suffer. And that, again, that did not compute. And that's why when Jesus was here, they're like, okay, we, we don't get it. But yet Jesus got it. He understood. And, and yet for them, again, they couldn't grasp that concept because they were expecting a king to set up his rule and reign on this earth. And yet he was saying, no, I'm taking you somewhere else. You know, I came not to deliver you from the Romans, but to deliver you from the bondage of sin and death. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desired to look into. Again, they wrote not understanding all that was going on, but Jesus came, he was the one who did the work, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it known and yet the angels, again, they marvel. They marvel at how someone who could disobey God, because when the angels were in heaven, one time there was disobedience in heaven, and they got kicked out of heaven. And so in their mind, us sinful men who disobeyed God, 
Again, it just doesn't compute how a holy, righteous God would desire to have us sinful man in his presence. But it, it makes us stop and ponder the amazing gift of salvation that's been given to each and every one of us. Verse 13, he goes on to say, because of what God's done, he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, rest in the hope, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Because again, all that God has done for us because of his great salvation. Here is what Peter would encourage each one of us to do. The way in which we should respond to God. The way in which we should conduct ourselves here. That word conduct is going to, we're going to, that is throughout the book of 1 Peter. And I love it because as far as I'm concerned, the reality is within marriage, Listen, marriage 101, the way in which you conduct yourself matters. And it matters greatly to God. He's going to tell us that in, in chapter 3 when he talks about the role of the wife and the role of the husband. We cannot conduct ourselves any way we think we want to and think that God's okay with it. We have to conduct ourselves according to what his word would tell us. And again, as we go through here, we're going to see all kinds of lists that he gives us throughout this book, those things to put off, those things to put on. And we catch this little list here in a sense saying, hey, you know what? Prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. Make sure your hope is in him. Don't conform to evil desires or former lust and simply be holy. So we're going to start tonight with the ladies from these verses. Okay. So I just uh, wrote to precious saints and sisters in Christ, um, as Pat just also said, in our verses today, we are reminded because we have so great a hope, we should want to live holy lives. First John 3, 3 says, every man that has this hope in him or her purifies himself even as he is pure. So as Pat pointed out, is, as we start in verse 10 of our section um, today, it says, of this salvation, the prophets inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The gracious salvation, the gift of life, even the prophets wanted to know more about that. As Pat pointed out, they couldn't connect all the dots and figure out what is this grace and how wonderful and how blessed that we get this gift. The prophets who came before us, foretelling of what was to come, they heard and spoke of a coming Messiah, but they didn't live to see what that would look like, what that meant. They spoke of a majestic king, as Pat pointed out, and even the apostles thought it was an earthly king that would set up a kingdom here. But the prophets also spoke of a suffering savior. How baffling that must have been for them to imagine how those two could come together. They foretold of two different comings, the coming of the Lamb of God who would come and suffer and die for the sins of mankind, but there also will be another coming when King Jesus, the victorious Redeemer, will come back to get his church, and that's you and that's me. So ladies, we're actually living in between these two events because Jesus has already come and died and risen again, and he has paid the penalty for our sins so that we can experience this grace and forgiveness. 
But we are still awaiting that second coming when he one day will come, hopefully very soon, and gather us together up to be with him forever. And again, uh, some of the things I've read, we are living in this age of grace, which comes between these two events. We're no longer crushed under the burden of trying to keep up with a law that we never could meet, but we're covered and forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we're awaiting that second coming of his return. And again, because we have so great a hope, we should be living holy lives. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Because he has given so much for us, we ought to be living holy lives because of how we've been blessed. As we move on to verse 11, it says, it tells us more of the prophet's confusion. It says they were trying to figure out, wondering, searching what time or what manner. In the message, it says it like this, the Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it, that Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. The prophets did not get to see what this all was going to look like. You and I get to experience it and live it every day. It, as Pat pointed out in verse 12, it goes on to point out, even the angels look into these things. They wanted to know what's going on. Ladies, again tonight, our salvation is so wonderful that even the angels in heaven want to see what this grace is all about. They want to see what grace in action looks like, how blessed we are to be able to live in the age that we get to experience the grace of God. We sin, we falter, we stumble, we fall, and yet God's grace is there to lift us up and give us a chance to get back up and keep going as we follow him. You know, think about it. Even the angels showed up when Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 2, remember what the angels said? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, we always think about goodwill toward men because it's Christmas. We think, oh, that means give presents to one another and be nice to one another. No, goodwill toward men. That's God's goodwill to men. God's gracious goodness to each of us, his grace. Now, I was just thinking about this for myself, and I know this isn't all of you ladies and all of you wives, but sadly, how often I allow the trials or the problems in life, maybe even some little disagreement in our marriage, to overshadow this amazing gift of God, this amazing grace that God has given to me. I let the things of this world rob me of the joy of experiencing I have the most amazing gift in all of the world. So now Peter's going to remind us of that again. Because we have so great a hope, how then are we supposed to live? We should be living holy lives. Verse 13 goes on to say, Therefore, and therefore always means you look back, why is it therefore? Because of this great gift of God's grace, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, gird up your loins of your mind, that's kind of an expression from the Bible. In those days, the men had kind of flowing... Uh, not capes, but togas, uh, <laughs> tunics. Sorry, I knew it was a T-word. No, that thing. They had robes and tunics. So, but you know, sometimes emergencies came up or something had to happen, and they would have to kind of gather up that fabric and tie it up in their belt. So, if they had to run or go to battle or rescue the cow out of a pit, I don't know, whatever kind of situation arose, whatever problem arose, they had to gird up that fabric. And yet Peter's exhorting us to gird up the loins 
of our minds. And as Pat, um, you said this too, so it maybe has to be said twice, it means to be battle ready. It means to remove any hindrances to have alert minds and prepared minds that are ready for whatever might, life might throw our way. To be thinking on the things of the Lord, dwelling in his word, that's the only way we're going to be ready for the trials and the problems that life will bring to us. When a spat occurs in our marriage, a mind prepared by God's word makes the difference between me responding in the spirit rightly or flying off the handle and anger and in my flesh. With God's spirit working in me, my thoughts, my emotions, my actions can be controlled by him and not by my flesh. He goes on to say, be sober, know what you ought to do and then do it. Exercise self-control. Again, these are great words of wisdom for us as women and as wives in those difficult times of our marriages. Self-control over my thoughts, my emotions, my words, and my actions. How many times when a situation arises because my mind is not in the right place with the Lord, pretty soon my mouth and my attitude is out of control and it's not where the Lord would have me to be. And as a side note, it does not help the situation at all. It only puts fuel on the fire and accelerates the not nice feelings that are going on in those moments. Ever think about it, how easy it is in those times of trouble to, this is even for me again, maybe not for you, but to overly indulge my flesh in order to feel better. A quart of ice cream, a big bar of chocolate, a chick flick to watch, I gotta go buy something new. Just when we deal with life's problems, sometimes our flesh gets in the way. Now I'm not saying that any of those things are sinful in and of themselves, but they don't fix the trial at hand. Only the peace of God can do that. And the danger for some of us is that it moves on from chocolate or ice cream or a movie and it becomes indulgences that we increase, like I need a couple of drinks, I need to get high, I need to seek out some ungodly activities so that I can mask and cover the issues that are in my heart. We need to deal with those things by allowing God's Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives and we need to start by having our minds be ready and prepared and to be sober in the way that we respond and behave. He, Peter goes on to say, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just listen to that verse alone. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that's going to be given to you. You haven't even used up all of God's grace yet. You're gonna get more and that's where my hope needs to be. Not in the election, not in the vaccine for COVID, not in what's going to be fixed in my world, but my hope needs to be resting upon the grace of God and all that he's done for me. Ladies, if we put all of our hope in our spouse, as wonderful and charming and as amazing as they are, we're going to be disappointed. And you know what? God did not design them to carry that heavy of a burden of trying to fulfill all of our hopes and dreams. Peter says we're to put all of our hope in Jesus and, his, and in his gracious gift of salvation. This week in devotions, I was uh, one day, um, the chapter I was reading was Colossians 3, and I just found it amazing because it ties in really well with what we're studying tonight. And I just wanted to read a couple of the verses just so you can see how well it ties in. And if you have time, go back and read Colossians 3. It's a great chapter. This is what it says, beginning in verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and when Christ, who is in your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. That is an amazing thought. We are going to share in his glory. We don't deserve even an ounce of it, and yet Jesus is willing to share his glory with each of us. Look upward to Jesus. Keep our minds in his word, our emotions and our actions controlled by his spirit, our hope resting on the glory to come. Verse 14 goes on to say, you must live as God's obedient children. I kind of personalize that for the ladies. We should be living as God's obedient daughters. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. You know, God's word in my heart will affect my actions. Don't go back to the way I used to respond, the, use, the way I used to, to live, the way I used to react when something pushed my button, especially if I'm having a problem in my marriage. I need to desire to deal with life, the good times and the bad, God's way as an obedient daughter of the Lord. Again, in Colossians 3, some other verses that really tie in, starting in verse 5, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. Now back to 1 Peter, verse 15, Peter tells us this. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That means be holy in everything, in all of my conduct. Be holy in every department of my life even in my marriage, not just on Sunday at church, not just to impress my Christian friends, but all the time, especially when there's problems and issues arise. Just as Pat pointed out, we're in about week three of a really difficult situation at the hospital with my dad, and I just find even these last couple of days, you get tired, you get wearied, you're a little angry, you kind of want to snap at people, and the Lord is even challenging my heart. Can I still continue to live holy and be a good witness even as I walk through this trial? Apart in my flesh, I can't do that. But with God's spirit and his help in me, I can. Verse 16 goes on to say, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. What really jumped out to me in that verse is it said, it is written. The scriptures say to God has said, we are to live holy lives. It's not just a suggestion, it's mandatory. God wrote it down for us because he wants us to do it. An old time pastor, J. Vernon McGee said this, holiness is to, is to the spiritual life what health is to the physical life. I really like that. Holiness is to the spiritual life what health is to my physical life. Holiness in me is that spiritual indicator of my spiritual well-being. It is only accomplished not by being just hearers of God's word, but I need to also be a doer of what I hear and what I learn. Finally, one other little uh, section of Colossians 3. I really love that chapter this week, so I'm quoting it a lot, sorry. Uh, Since God chose you, verse, picking it up in verse 13, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
We've studied that over the months back, and so this is just a refresher of that. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another, excuse me, forgive anyone who offends you, even your spouse. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the, the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Ladies, as always, this is not something we can magically change or do on our own. We need God's Holy Spirit to, to live holy lives, to be obedient daughters. In closing, I just wanted to read Romans 12, verse 2, and this kind of sums it up for me. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Remember, gird up the loins of our minds. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And your hubby will probably be blessed too. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You know, listen, guys, uh, on Colossians chapter 3, if you had no other chapter in your Bible, no other chapter, only Colossians 3, you could spend the rest of your life doing what is there and, and allowing it to speak and minister to your heart. It is, I was reading it this morning as well, and I got all excited telling Mary, Mary's like, no, 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 I'm using that one. So, <laughs> but anyways, Colossians 3, an incredible chapter. But again, um, Peter encourages us in the way in which we should conduct ourselves. I'm going to kind of take it from verse uh, verse 13 uh, to where it says, um, he's telling us, he's going to tell us five things. And the first thing is, gird up the loins of your mind or really prepare our minds for action. One guy said it this way. He said, obedience is a conscious act of the will. And when Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our mind, he is saying that it is time to walk in obedience to what the Lord is asking. It's time to take things serious, to be ready for the battle. It's time to make a conscious effort of walking circumspectly. Again, another military term. A see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, Ephesians 5, 15 would say to us. And again, that gives us a picture of, listen, there is an enemy that's out there and the enemy wants to destroy your life, your relationship with God. It wants to destroy your marriage. And he does that by putting separation. And, and what is that separation? It's, it's, it's allowing ourselves to fall into sin practices or sin issues. Sin separates from God. And, and, and he wants us to fall into those traps and those trials and, and, and get us further away from God. And the same thing with a man and a wife. He wants to put sin issues between the two so that there's this separation. And, and yet Peter would be telling us, hey, guys, listen, we need to stop. We need to understand this is what he's trying to do. And again, in the pilgrimage of marriage, the enemy wants to bring about that separation. Pastor Rob always says, don't take the bait. He's constantly out there. He's constantly throwing that bait out there. And when we take that bait, we get hooked. Again, listen, we can all fall into places, into traps where we just kind of are going along or we're in this Christian walk and there's really not that desire to, to seek or the desire for, for spiritual things. But, but Peter was saying, hey, listen, we need to be proactive in our relationship with God, proactive as well in our marriages, in protecting 
uh, our marriages. You know, for myself, again, I just want to share this. Guys, I'm meeting with about four guys right now um, at different times, um, at different days of the week, and I'm taking them all. We're going through a book on spiritual disciplines. It's something that the Lord impressed upon my heart because I found myself in this place where I was like, hey, Lord, I just I just, I want to challenge myself again or, or kind of, you know, drifting or whatever the case may be. And it's like, Lord, I don't want to be there. I want to, I want to be seeking after, seeking first the kingdom of God. And we began this book, and I've been going through with uh, some different guys on this. And it has been incredible. It has been a blessing. And I challenge you guys, you know, if you're wanting a little bit more or something a little bit more, this is something that would be really, really good to implement. Just like all of these things here, implement them within your life, within your marriage. Don't allow the enemy to bring about separation, but allow the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, as we're going to learn about next week, just to really wash and to cleanse us and that we would be one. And that's what God intended. But be proactive. Don't just sit back and say, yeah, someday, someday, let's do that. Then he tells us to be sober. Uh, Another word for that is to be self-controlled. Actually, it literally means, you know, drinking wine. Don't, Don't be drinking wine in a sense. Again, I go back to Ephesians 5. Um, 18, where it says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord would be impressing upon our hearts, guys, listen, don't be under the influence of intoxicated by your flesh, but be under the influence of intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. Again, that's what's evident in your life is God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things. Again, Peter is saying any substance or thing that takes over and controls our life, we shouldn't allow to be a part of it. You know, we need to be sober. Uh, You know, again, if I drink a lot of wine, uh, I could get drunk. I I don't remember things. I'm, you know, I act and behave in ways I normally don't do. Unfortunately, a lot of times, us men, we can act and behave in our flesh and we think it's, it's okay. Sometimes we don't even remember that we've really done anything wrong. And yet, Peter would say, guys, listen, we need to be sober. It's not okay. Are we under the influence of the Holy Spirit? And again, I love that there in Luke where Jesus says, you know, we have a good and gracious Heavenly Father who wants to give his kids good gifts. How much more so does he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God makes it very, very simple for each and every one of us. Then he says this, he says, rest your hope upon the grace of God. Rest your hope. What is hope? What is hope? Listen, the dictionary would define hope. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based upon an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. Another definition, expect with confidence to cherish a desire with anticipation. What does your hope look like? What is it that you desire? What is it that you are anticipating? Peter would say, listen, guys, our hope, what we're looking for, our desires, our expectations should be on what God has already done for us rather than all about what's going on down here. Again, almost every time hope is used in the Bible, it's not speaking of just having an earthly hope, but it's having a heavenly hope. And that's what Peter's been talking about in chapter one, this incredible hope that is waiting 
for each and for every one of us. Again, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these other things. The housing, the food, the clothing will be given to us. Men, make sure that as for you and your house, you're putting God first. You're putting the things of God first. You're seeking first the kingdom of God. And it's not all about the, the mighty dollar down here or the bank account or trying to you know, have all of these, keep up with the Joneses and all the nice stuff that your neighbor has or things like this. It's all about him first. Now again, the, the scriptures tell us he gives us good and precious gifts and we're to enjoy those things. But first and foremost, it's having him set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth, Colossians 3, um, that, that he tells us those things there. Again, where's your hope? What is your hope in? I find that oftentimes my hope can be in, you know, my, my bank account or, or that I'm a good person or, you know, it, but it all has to do with stuff here. Our hope needs to be in him and what he has done for us. Continuing on, he says, do not conform to former lusts. Again, he said that to us last week. He's saying that to us again this week. He's going to say it to us a few more times throughout the book. I love this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul says this, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I don't know about you, but when I read this list, I know, and there may be some sitting here today, and maybe your thought is, well, I'm sure glad that that's not me. Can I tell you that I'm there? I'm on that list. I'm part of, and such were some of you. You know, another version says this, impure. Have I had impure thoughts? Yeah. Immoral. Have I been immoral? Have I had immoral thoughts? Yeah. Cheats, swindlers, thieves. Have I done those things? Yes. I like this one. Greedy graspers. You're just trying to grasp for everything that you possibly can. Have I done that in my life? Yes. Foul mouth. Absolutely. Blackmailer. Yeah, that was me. I've done all those things. I've been that. That is the former lust of the past life. Peter is saying they should not be a part of my new life in Christ. Why? Because we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified by the spirit of our God. Do not conform or behave in that old way that you used to live before Christ. Impure, immoral, cheating, greedy, foul mouth, blackmailer. Kind of a funny story here. Our son, when he was applying for the sheriff department, you have to fill out this huge questionnaire and, and he was told, you have to be completely honest on this. And so when he got to the blackmailer, he actually put, yes, you know, I mean, it asked, you know, have you ever smoked dope? And he said, no. Do you have friends do? Oh, yeah, all my friends. And that was actually one of the reasons that the guy almost wouldn't pass him because he looked at my son there. There's no way you have all these friends who smoke dope and you don't smoke it. And he looked at him and said, well, I'm sorry, I've never smoked dope. And yeah, I had all kinds of friends that did that. But he also put down that he blackmailed. And the guy stopped and said, wait a minute, you blackmailed? 
And he goes, well, yeah, when I was in third grade, I did this thing with this guy and I kind of blackmailed him. And the guy did what you guys did. He kind of laughed at him and said, okay, that's not what we're looking for here. But he said, hey, I was told, be honest, you know, in a sense. But listen, our behavior should not look like someone who does not have a relationship with God. That those who don't know God oftentimes act in very ungodly ways. I find it interesting that sometimes I'll talk with couples and they'll be talking to me. They need, they say, hey, Pat, we need some help. We need some counsel. We got some issues. Okay, they come in. But they'll always start out by trying to tell me how spiritual and godly they are. And, and then as they're navigating that, then they tell me, you know, unfortunately, yeah, the neighbors four doors down could hear us in our house and it wasn't good. And I'm thinking, if your neighbors four doors down are hearing what's going on, I'm just not so sure that that's being, they look at that as, wow, you are so godly. You know, you guys, you know, you guys are just righteous and do all that. No, they're acting in ungodly ways. And yet Peter would say that should not be a part of who we are. But lastly, we should be holy. Holy, it means that we've chosen to be dedicated or consecrated to God. That unholy ways, they're not a part of what we have chosen, but we've chosen the sacred, that which honors God. The pilgrims that Peter is writing to would understand when he said, be holy for I'm holy, because the Lord says that throughout the Old Testament. He says it quite a few times, be holy for I'm holy. And yet for myself, I don't know about you, but I know for me, this throws me a little bit. Because I don't see myself as holy. Uh, When I look at God, uh, he is a holy, righteous God and does not allow sinful man in his presence. And I look at myself and I'm like, man, I'm a sinner. Uh, There is no darkness at all in God. And yet there is darkness sometimes within me. The Bible says my heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And only God really can know it. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm a fallen person in a fallen planet and I stumble and I fall. So I don't look at myself as holy. But listen, men understand this. Ladies, this is a good one for you too. Absolute holiness can never be achieved in this life because we do have a sin nature and we can never achieve this in this life. Um, But we can be holy or someone who is set apart to the Lord, that I've chosen to live a life that will honor the Lord. In the book of Haggai, it's a small little book, actually in chapter two there, it actually kind of one of my things that is scripture that God has put on since this whole COVID thing has happened is, you know, God saying once more, yet I shake the earth there out of Hebrews. And yet that comes out of Haggai chapter two, where God says, yet once more, I'm going to shake the earth, that that which would remain would be of him. And I believe God is doing that. He's shaking us. He's shaking the earth. He's shaking the church because he wants good fruit. He wants to see that. And and there's things that maybe looked like fruit or something that's just all over the ground. And yet they're no longer wanting or desiring the things of the Lord. But Haggai, that's where I was at. Haggai, he, he, he tells the prophet Haggai, hey, go to the priests and, and, and do this little thing. I want you to go and tell them and ask them a question. Say, hey, listen, as a priest, because, you know, you, they, people bring things in, they concentrate it to the Lord, whether it's bread or meat, and then God looks at it and says it's holy. But he said, if you take some of that holy meat and you put it 
in, in a garment and you're carrying it on your side and you walk up and you brush up against something, does that make that other thing holy? And the priests say, well, no, holiness doesn't transfer. You know, listen, we oftentimes think, especially as parents, that because we're trying to live a holy life that our kids are going to do it just by osmosis. It doesn't, they have to have their own personal relationship with God, just like all of us do. But, but then the prophet goes on and he says, hey, but listen, but if you take something that's unholy, unclean, and you put it in your, your pocket and you're walking along and you brush up against something, does that make the other thing unclean? In the Levitical law, it does make it unclean. In a sense, basically telling them, hey, listen, unholiness is transferable. Holiness is not. And in a sense for us men, listen, unholiness is transferable. You don't want to be transferring that. But what I find fascinating is when you think about the priests and going and offering things to the Lord, setting apart, dedicating to the Lord, when did it become holy? It became holy when God said it become holy. Though in my mind, in my life, I look and I say, okay, uh, holiness is not. That's not something that I'm going to do. But you know what? I can dedicate myself. I can dedicate my marriage. I can set myself apart. I can set my marriage apart to the Lord. And when I do that, God would look at me and say, now that's holy. Men, we need to be dedicated to the Lord we need our marriages dedicated to him. We need to set them apart for things of God, not the stuff of this earth. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober. Be self-controlled. Rest your hope upon the grace of God. Make sure your hope is in him. And, and don't conform to evil desires or former lusts. Such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And be holy, he would tell us. Set apart, dedicated to the Lord, both yourself as well as your marriage. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word and the things written here within your word. And I pray tonight, even for us, Lord, maybe we would stop and say, I'm maybe not so dedicated to God. I'm maybe not so set apart to him and the work that he wants to do. Again, God makes things so very, very easy of us just surrendering, saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Have my life. Lord, have our marriage. And that we would set them apart, dedicate them to you. And God, you would look and say, we fulfill that scripture that we would be holy as you are holy because we're dedicating ourselves to you. We're setting ourselves aside for the work you want to do in and through our hearts in and through our lives. Lord, be with each one of us. Fill us, Lord. Help us to put away the besetting sins, Lord, that easily trip us up and help us to really be intoxicated and under the influence of your spirit rather than the things of our flesh. Would you move and work in our hearts and lives this day? Allow us to look to you in all that you're doing. And we thank you and we do praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's couples agree by saying, amen, amen. amen.